Hello and welcome to Big Dumb Movie, where we discuss movies of the big dumb variety. I'm your host, Corey, and I am joined with one co-host today, a lovely man. Thank you for being here. Say hi, Steve. The loveliest. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Steve, you're the loveliest man I know. <laughs> Thank you, ditto. <laughs> so we're here to talk about Howard the Duck. Now, Steve, this... When we used to do the hat, which we might bring back, this was one of your hat picks. Yes. Why did you want to do Howard the Duck? I, I, I've always had a weird fascination and soft spot for this movie. I was three when it came out. I didn't see it in a theater, but I did get to see it pretty shortly thereafter on television. And um, as a kid, I loved it. I didn't I didn't understand what adults wouldn't have liked about it. It's like a four or five year old, but that's what you expect. And it sort of stuck with me ever since. And I've just found new reasons both to like and dislike it since. And it's 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 just one of those it's one of those movies that like everyone knows is generally thought of to be bad, which I think is interesting. It definitely is. <laughs> I'm somewhat in the same boat. I liked this movie as a kid a lot. My mom had the VHS and showed it to me when I was around five. Right. And I would watch it pretty frequently, like Howard the Duck and the Goonies, and there was like oh, a few yeah. others, a few other '80s movies that I, I watched with regularity the we'll touch on it but the 80sness is part of what continues to act like there are things about this movie i do like i'm not going to say it's a good movie but it, that the 80sness of it is part of it i'm very nostalgic about the 80s stuff and i, I like the fact that this is has that timestamp on it yeah it's it's built into the dna of this movie right. <laughs> so i mean this is a marvel property and i mean yeah. i'm sure some people know that but i'd say like your common moviegoer like maybe like a non-comic reader probably doesn't know that, right? No, and he's not a character in the last 20 years that's gotten a whole lot of use. I mean, there's that one moment at the end of the first Guardians of the Galaxy, but I would venture anyone much under, like, 25 when that film came out wouldn't have even known who he was. Right. So, Unless I'd say, like, they were, like, somewhat involved in the comic book universe. Yeah. yeah. So, the, this is a Marvel movie that came out in 86. This is definitely pre-Marvel Studios, way before, in fact. Yeah. There were other Marvel movies kind of splattered around, but for the most part, they just gave comic book movies a bad name around this time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, when you, if, when you go back to comic book movies, you, the one that really kicked it off, in my opinion, is the Richard Donner Superman. That's kind of like one of the first big ones. Absolutely. And, and then it got its sequel, and then later on. Comic book movies shifted. I mean, to your point, to the point that for a long time, studios thought that, that the Superman franchise was the one weird outlier, that it was like the only comic book film that would ever make any money. Nobody thought you could really do that that successfully otherwise. Yeah. I mean, I haven't watched Richard Donner Superman for a while. I, when I was a kid and I was watching Howard the Duck, that was another one I did watch and I liked it a lot. Right. But it's hard for me to imagine getting a six-year-old to sit through Richard Donner's Superman, you know? Yeah, when, you know, one of my problems with it is always, I appreciate other people love them, and I don't really dislike, dislike them, but yeah, I've never been able to get into them, and I think they're much in the same way I can understand that this, the 80s-ness I like about some movies is going to put other people off. There's something about Donner's approach to Superman that's a very 1970s approach to Superman, and I just don't like it. Like... You don't like it at all, huh? Not not really. Like, I appreciate what fans really like about it, and I, I won't refuse to sit through it. It's not a film that I hate, but I've never been able to, like, really like it. Yeah. What's the name of the guy? That, Marlon Brando. Yeah, Brando. Krypton. Krypton. <laughs> God, he was... 
I don't know, man. He was regarded as being such a great actor, but a lot of his later performances were just like, I'm just going to read this off cue cards and you get what you get. He made some like, weird choices, I'll say. <laughs> especially in the 90s. <laughs> One of the last films, if not the last film he was in, was a movie called The Score with Robert De Niro and um, – why am I blanking on his name? The lead from Fight Club, Robert Edward Norton. Uh and he got to the point where he he was not memorizing lines. He had an earpiece in, and somebody was feeding him his lines as he read them or, or, or delivered them. Yeah, when you get to a certain level as an actor, you just get to do that, I guess. Because I've heard other actors doing that. It's so weird. Right? Well, I think with him, with him, it was just like it's Brando. We just want the name attached to the movie. So, we'll do whatever we got to do. We have talked about that before. Joe Turkle did that in some movies as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all right. So, back on topic. So, so with these comic book movies, you got Superman. Uh, later on, Batman 89 came out, which kind of changed the game to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, of these Marvel movies, though, specifically, so Batman, Superman aside, what do you think was like some of the other noteworthy, like weird comic book movies that people kind of forgot in time? Like I, one of the ones that people never mention that I like to bring up a lot is Elektra. Like seriously, no one talks about that movie. Yeah, I mean for good reason. Um, you know, I yeah, you know, I guess there's probably a few of those. I think in the in a lot of those cases, they were movies that the mainstream audience didn't realize were based on comics to begin with, like Ten Thousand Days of Night, and um, a lot of people have no idea that From Hell was based on a graphic right. novel. <clears throat> um, I think a lot of people knew that V for Vendetta was, but I think there's some audience that doesn't necessarily. Um. But Ten Thousand Days of Night, I think, is was one of the Ninja has, Turtles. I mean, Road to Perdition. There's a lot. That Road I like. to Perdition is another huge one. Yeah, uh, Ghost World with uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson and um, now I'm blanking on her name, but you know, I mean, that was based on a graphic novel that mm. that very few people knew when the time the movie was made. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Any uh, noteworthy Marvel, Marvel movies stick out for you, like? Captain America, the 1991. Like in, like in terms of like forgotten ones that I love. Or, that you love or are just so stupid that are like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, the 90 Captain America with that version of Red Skull is definitely up there. The the Roger Corman version of Fantastic Four that no one was really ever meant to see in the first place. There's a really good documentary on that. There on is. Hulu, by the way. <laughs> right. Highly recommend it. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're just... They're, they're despicably terrible. The Dolph Lundgren Punisher, and most people at this point have forgotten they were even made. There was actually a sequel to the 1990 Captain America. It was even worse than the first one. And they had the Captain America motorcycle in it. <laughs> that's that's the one where he wears a helmet, like a motorcycle helmet, as the Captain America yeah, helmet. Basically. So it's like very big. It's right. like <laughs> Yeah, I mean those were bad. And all you know, some of the other ones I, I'm a fan of Raimi in general, but the Raimi Spider Man movies I don't think have aged all that well. I don't think so either. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, probably can get some shit for that. But I'd I mean, say I still say the best of them is two. I was just gonna say exactly the same people thing. People love two. And I could see why. I, I really can. I could nitpick what they changed from the comic, but that interpretation of Doc Ock was at least interesting. And the scene where Doc attacks him on the subway, I think, was the, the part that really sold – or the L train, whatever it was. That's a really good set piece. Yeah. I love it. There is some issues with it, I think. Yeah. Namely where – at some point where they're crawling like up a wall, they're fighting their way up a wall, you know? Right. It's crazy. Spider-Man punches this dude in the face a couple times. Right. That dude should be dead. That's true because his physical body is not really altered. The the pack with the arms on it is really what gives him the ability to do anything. So, once Spider-Man's hit him, it should be over. Yeah, he just <laughs> like, needs to get one punch in there. Right. Even at the time- I'd break his head. I was in high school, I think, and I was watching that movie and I was just waiting for Spider-Man to get one shot in. I was like, oh, it's going to end. <laughs> and he gets a few <laughs> at some point. It takes him a minute, but he gets in there. No, you're right. I mean- and. 
I've gotten into huge arguments with this about people, and we're, we're actually supposed to be talking about Howard the Duck, so I don't want to segue this too much further. Oh, but we will. Like, <laughs> right. The, I mean, the the Cap and Bucky boxing it out with Iron Man in Civil War, I understand they're, they're supposed to be enhanced and all that, but come on, after a while, Iron Man should just break the both of them. <laughs> like, there's no way they're stronger than that suit. Like, Yeah, I think in the Civil <clears throat> War comic, the way that Captain America gets in there is – he somehow disables the suit. Yeah. And then he just starts fucking wailing on him. Right. So that scene in the movie where Iron Man's like, his mask is off and he's like laying down and he's like, go ahead and do it. And Captain America's about to finish him. He's like hanging right over him with his like hand cocked. Right. That is in the comic as well. But there's, yeah. He, it's he, the he, context. Yeah. It's like a different way that he gets in there. It's not right. just him versus Iron Man in the suit. Because even without the help of the computer system, I figure, all right, now Tony Tony maybe can't box as well as Cap without the help of the computer, but he still has the armor on. Like, the armor should be able to protect him from a lot of that. The armor is meant to be able to take missile hits. Like, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, we got some good uh, Marvel movies back in the day. Or at least we got some Marvel movies back in the day. <laughs> so, yeah, this is one of the first ones. And it cost $36 million. It was produced by George Lucas. It was directed by William Hike. Steve, how the fuck was this movie made? Um, I'm not sure why the subject came up. But Lucas was apparently the first one to start initiating conversations about making this into a movie. And um, they originally intended – it's actually kind of an interesting tie-in, I think – they originally intended to animate it and do it in the style of the comics and mostly maintain the integrity of the character. Lucas, I don't know the details of this beyond what I'm about to say, but Lucas apparently had an existing option in one of his contracts that required him to deliver an additional live action movie on a certain timeline. And based on needing to fulfill that option, he pushed to have this turned into a live action production instead, which I think was mistake number one. They, I guess, played around with different script ideas. One of the original script ideas, they weren't even going to explain how Howard got to Earth. They were just going to kind of start once he was already here. We've had conversations about doing that thing, things that way relative to Batman. And yeah. I think that you can get away with doing that with Batman to a large extent because most people know the background enough and you can sort of establish as time goes on. But like with this, he's a, an intelligent humanoid duck. I think you've got to do something toward explaining how the fuck he ended up on Earth. Um they only lightly touch on that. In any case, no, I agree with the, with the more well known character. Like now, what they're doing with the Spider Man is they kind of skip the origin, right? I think you can do that with a well known character for the most part, right? But I mean, Howard the Duck, even in '86, and that was probably the peak of popularity for the comics he was in. A wider audience, not to the degree Superman or Batman was, would not have known who he was. But um, so they ended up writing a bunch of scripts and going through revisions, ending up what they ended up with story wise. This is. A point of frustration for me. They made a decision pretty early on to change the nature of the Howard character from the comics. He was supposed to be rude and obnoxious and a wise ass. He was kind of all of the worst elements of a sort of neo-noir detective from a 30s film rolled into a duck character. And, and they made him way more palatable and friendly because they thought the audience would like the character more if they made him that way. Um so, they, so that's that's what he's like in the comic. He's more like it's more of a noir kind of story. Like I, I don't know much about the actual right. content of the comics. I know the big story as to what happened, which I want to talk about in a moment. Right. But. Well, this is probably the best way I can describe it for people that have some familiarity with comics, but not with Howard. 
You know how Deadpool is very satirical and constantly breaking the fourth wall? Mm-hmm. Replace Wade with a duck who's just kind of an asshole instead of being an assassin, and then theme it slightly neo-noir, and you've basically got Howard the Duck. The whole point of the original comic was very satirical and self-aware, and he's this obnoxious, rude asshole. He's not a bad guy. He works as a detective. He tries to help people, but he's not like a, like a nice person, you know? And, and, um, uh, he, he meets all these weird characters. In fact, the first major comic he appeared in, the villain was a vampire cow called Bessie, who later appealed, who's also called Hell Cow, I think. She later appeared in a Deadpool comic. <laughs> um, but, um, this is another part that really, really bothers me because they decided to remove all the surrealism and all the self-awareness. They decided to play the story much more straight and really change the nature of the character. There was a push apparently from Lucas's end to focus on special effects stuff because he wanted ILM to be involved as much as he could possibly make it. The guy who wrote the comic actually made a note of this quote so I wouldn't butcher it, said about the comic, and I quote, that life's most serious moments and most incredibly dumb moments are often distinguishable only by a momentary point of view, and that the whole thing was was meant to be a satire. Now, on the other hand, Gloria Katz, the woman who produced the movie, this will show you how different their view of it was. Gloria Katz said, it's a film about a duck from outer space. It's not supposed to be an existential experience. She took something that was supposed to be an existential experience and did that with it. The weirdest part to me is nobody on Earth thinks that this was an ad- really an adaptation of the comics, except Gerber, the writer, came out at one point and said, no, no, I think this was totally faithful to my characters. And it's That's like, interesting. It's like, have you had a seizure <laughs> since you saw the movie? Because that makes no – like, the, for the creator to have said that makes no sense whatsoever. And uh, <laughs> lastly, real quick, touching on – because you mentioned the money. They only ended up clearing something like a million bucks on their budget internationally. Total, total income from this right. film. Which is basically a failure. Right. It was considered a bomb. The rumor I've always heard is that Lucas was finishing construction on Skywalker Ranch right around the time the financials from this were coming in, and that Lucasfilm was originally supposed to include an animation division, but the failure of this film put Lucasfilm in its early days at such financial jeopardy that Lucas ended up taking basically an offer from friends. He and Steve Jobs knew each other. Steve Jobs apparently offered to for Apple to buy what was supposed to be Lucasfilm's animation division at a massively overinflated price as a favor. And George Lucas did it because he needed the money to keep Lucasfilm operating and that the animation division that Apple bought turned into Pixar. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> so it's now I don't know for certain that all of that is totally true, but it's a really prevalent rumor. It's never been explicitly denied. And it's really, really interesting to think what the animation side of, of that industry would have been like if Lucasfilm had been producing animated content all that time. Yeah. What would they have made? Right. And and what what Pixar stuff would not have gotten made, gotten made. Or or maybe Toy Story would have gotten made anyway, but totally differently. You know? Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. You mentioned Steve Gerber, one of the creators. Right. So Steve Gerber <laughs> He worked for Marvel. Now, the thing at Marvel is if you make a character, Marvel owns it, right? So, he made this – he was a co-creator. He he was one of the guys that made this character. <laughs> right. Marvel owned it. He eventually left Marvel, but Marvel still had the rights to Howard the Duck. 
he went to go work for Image and created like a different duck character. <laughs> right. It was like, um, fuck, it was Destroyer Duck, I think it was called. Oh my God. Yeah. Something like that. But they were having this event crossover, right? So Marvel was doing an event right. and they wanted to bring back Howard the Duck and they wanted to implement the Image comic characters as well. So Gerber agreed to come back to Marvel to write Howard the Duck, but he was kind of pissed that they were just using him to bring back Howard the Duck, and then they were going to hand it off to other writers. <laughs> so there's this weird thing that happened in 95 where they did the crossover, and at one point in the crossover, the Marvel version of Howard the Duck faced off against this villain who created a ton of copies. Right. And in the Image crossover book, the real Howard the Duck went back to Image, and the real version like went in witness protection and became a different oh. character altogether. He became a character called Leonard the Duck. Leonard the Duck. God, I don't remember any of that. So, yeah, it's it's really weird. It was in 1996. It was this big crossover. So, in the Mar- in the Marvel side, that wasn't written in. So, like, they still have the what they think is the real Howard the Duck. <laughs> but Steve Gruber actually got the real Howard the Duck, the real version, the non-cloned version. Will the real Howard the Duck <laughs> please stand up? <laughs> it's so crazy because, like, he was... It, it, I don't think I've ever heard of anything like this. In doing research, I was like, what a fucking trip that is. Oh, my God. That is a trip. Like, oh, that was one other thing I wanted to mention. In one of the commentary tracks, I think on the DVD, um, somebody mentions that when the movie flopped, Lucas went around reassuring everybody that 20 years from now, this will be seen as an underappreciated classic. And boy, how wrong was he about that? <laughs> you know what? There's probably a fan base somewhere. There is but- a bit of a cult following, and I'm sort of a member of it myself. <laughs> but this, the, the image of this film did not come around the way he thought it was. There's an it's old, not exactly the Big Lebowski, is it? No. There's an old story. The people involved have purportedly denied it, but I like to believe it's true. That after one of the test screenings of this film for executives from Universal – Two of them got into such an angry argument over whose fault it was that this movie had been greenlit that they literally got into a fist fight in the screening room. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I really, really want to believe that story's true. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> what a thing to fight about. Right. So, <sighs> the film itself, Howard the Duck, we're going to dive into it. This movie is PG. I just want to start off the top saying that. I'm not going to harp on it, but this movie has a PG rating. And I, I clearly the standard has shifted a bit, but I think that's a large part of why they shifted the Howard character where they, the way they did. I think this easily would have been a PG-13 and maybe even an R film if they had done it with Howard the way he was in the comics. And there was just no way in 86 that was going to happen. We were way before our R-rated comic book <laughs> movies at that point. Definitely. Yeah. So we get to see Howard the Duck in the beginning in his apartment. He's in Duck World which is a very interesting name for the planet he comes from. But as far as I know, it is comic book accurate. He's from Washington, D.C. <laughs> no shit. Really? Right. Absolutely. That's true. He's from Washington, <laughs> D.C. <laughs> so it's basically a one-to-one version of Earth, except the people are like duck humanoids that are very short. Yeah, they've evolved from a duck. And that whole thing makes no fucking sense. I mean, and the fact that they can speak in, in like human words, regard, even regardless of what language they speak, that they speak instead of quacking and they he speaks English. They How give, would they speak English? They describe evolution in this movie so bad. Yeah. Like, it just none of that. I mean, fine, it's a comic. Like, in the context of the comics, it's fine. But they make an effort, to your point. They make an effort in this movie to give it something scientific. And it's like, why? 
Because none, none of the science behind this makes any sense. So Steve just the scientist is back. Right? Yeah, just don't do that. Let it be a comic book. We don't need the science. He's from Planet of Talking Ducks. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> so there's some weird shit going on in his apartment. Uh, I It was going by too quick for me to take notes, but there's a, a version of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Breeders of the Lost Stork, I believe it was called. Yeah, that's correct. Very interesting. So, also some some allusions to neo noir films, which is one of the few nods to the source material. And if you look at the names of the actors, oh god, what was it? Like there's a, there was a real actor named W. C. Fields, and on one of his posters, it's like W. C. Marsh. It's all duck related stuff, like places you'd find ducks. Sure, you know, it, like, there's a lot of that going on, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a whole other thing. It's like, why would their world have one to one duck versions of actors from Earth? Like, that's really – the whole thing is strange. It is very strange. There are a handful of other Lucas and Spielberg references, too. There's a kid in the diner scene toward the end we'll touch on, but he's wearing, I think, uh, an Empire shirt, episode five or episode six shirt, one of the two. Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) Cool kid. Right. (laughs) Uh, So, Howard the Duck's in his apartment. He's just like a regular, like, blue-collar guy. He smokes cigars. He has uh, their version of Playboy magazine. It's called Play Duck. He's getting ready to jerk off. <laughs> All right. I have to admit, I think as like a seven, eight, nine-year-old, one of the things that fascinated me about this film was the fact that the, like the duck nudity. <laughs> I didn't find it sexually compelling. I am not a furry, but I'm like, why does the duck have breasts? It's really weird. Oh my God. It is so fucking weird. They're right? duck tits, man. They're duck tits. And I'm like, the whole, like, it's funny. As an adult, I find it funny. But as a kid, I'm like, that duck porn doesn't make sense to me. I don't get it. Like... <laughs> Uh, I don't even remember my reaction to that as a kid. I'm sure I was very uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. I mean, we get to see some full on because what happens is Howard's sitting in his chair and he just gets like sucked through the wall while in his chair. He's just getting pulled out of his apartment. He breaks through his neighbor's apartments. That's when we see a woman, a duck woman in the bath. And she's just, you know, we see her topless. It's a very strange prop. He gets sucked like into space, kind of through a portal, like into Wait, the clouds. Not he doesn't leave their atmosphere. I have to do the Steve the Scientist bit one more time. I'm All sorry. Right. Those those kinds of breasts are a mammal thing, by the way. Only mammals get those. <laughs> Ducks would never develop those. Anyway, go ahead. Naturally, yeah, naturally. <laughs> so he gets sucked through a portal. He leaves Duck World. He ends up on Earth, 1980s Earth, right? So this whole intro bit is very chaotic when he lands on Earth. So I do want to rewind like like 35 seconds in terms of movie footage because there is – there's a part right before we even get into Howard's apartment. I actually really like this part where they're, they're spanning through the cosmos and there's a voiceover and the voiceover talks about how there's an infinite number of universes and in – any of those universes, anything you could or even couldn't conceive of is real. Like there's an alternate universe somewhere or alternate planet somewhere where anything anything is possible. And things that make no sense where we're from make total sense where they're from. I kind of like that bit. cosmos. Countless worlds upon worlds. Worlds without end. In these galaxies, every possible reality exists. And what is reality on any one world is mere fantasy on all others. Here, all is real and all is illusion. What is, what was, and what will be start here with the words, In the beginning there was... Howard the Duck. Yeah, 
Yeah, the multiverse. That's very comic book. It yeah. is very comic book, and it's a nice it's a nice way to introduce the concept in a digestible, easy way. And it's very uh, I don't know. It's just, I found that bit satisfying. And then you get to the apartment, and the detail in the apartment was cool. And I thought the sequence. I always liked the sequence of Howard getting sucked to Earth. I thought that was cool. He gets sucked through all the walls and into the tunnel and. Uh, I'm just so taken aback by the duck tits that, like, I'm really just taken out of it, man. It's right. It's so jarring. To it me. is jarring. And and that's really Ugh. one of the things that people talk about when they talk about this movie. They probably shouldn't have had that because it really is the focal point of this whole scene. Like, that's what people talk about in the beginning. Right. No, I absolutely agree for multiple reasons. A, it did, like, the rest of that sequence is cool and the duck tits moment makes the rest of – like, you're not talking about how cool the rest of it is. You're talking about the duck tits. And then even beyond that, like, again, they softened everything else about this character and gave it rounded edges to make sure they could get, like, a PG rating. And then here's this moment with duck tits. And it's like, why? Why was that the thing you would choose to throw in? Like, uh, I don't even know who that's supposed to be for. This is, like, pre-furries. So, who's it for? <laughs> duck tits. Woo. <laughs> God, Uncle Scrooge. Just, or, uh, Scrooge McDuck hates them. <laughs> So, in, on Earth, Howard the Duck, he's very confused. He lands in an alley. Some gang members, like, pick him up and they, like, they toss him into a nightclub and then the bouncers toss him right back out. This is an immediate problem. This whole sequence is an immediate problem. First of all, this group of adult gang members come up on something that looks like a living duck. There's or like a walking, talking humanoid duck. It doesn't look like anything that should be on Earth. Only two possible reactions. A, you assume this is some weird fucked up thing you've never seen before, probably from another planet, which is you should be freaking out. Or you assume it's a child in a costume, which is a bit they play on later. In neither of those cases does it make sense for that group of people to pick that thing up and throw it into a nightclub. When you're that badass and you're in a gang, <laughs> in, a, in an 80s gang with mohawks and leather, right. this is nothing kind of, scares you, Steve. Right? This is kind of a running thing for me the whole movie. is like he's walking around Cleveland. There's a point where he has a job. We'll talk about it. Everyone's just like, oh, it's a duck. I or it's like a, a lot of 80s movies where something foreign enters the movie. They got to confront a leather-bound 80s gang. It's like Terminator and all right. that. You know, it's like... But like everyone, everyone's just kind of like passingly surprised at this walking, talking duck, but otherwise doesn't really get like the military doesn't get called. No one's worried about a potential duck invasion of Earth. Like in real life, that thing would have been taken to a military facility and vivisected. There's one moment later on in the movie where a person has an appropriate reaction where Howard <laughs> the Duck is like leaving the museum and one woman sees him and turns to him and just screams her fucking head off. Exactly! That should have been everybody. <laughs> right. Or at the very least, what the fuck is happening right now? The only people who have any other reaction to him are, are, are Beverly, who's oddly friendly to him, and the scientists who are just like, oh my god, an alien thing. Like, anyway. Alright, so... During the commotion, uh, there's one part I took a note on. He, like, a biker gang, like he... Encounters a biker gang. Satan like, sluts. Yes. <laughs> Satan sluts. I mean, I, I don't want to harp on the rating, but I mean, <laughs> Satan sluts, dude. It's a PG movie. We've had duck tits and Satan sluts. We are 15 minutes in. <laughs> Eventually, he just kind of like hides in an alley. And we see Beverly, so our female lead of the movie, played by uh, Leah Thompson. She's in a band. She just finished performing, so she's leaving the nightclub on her way out. She gets attacked by some gang members as well. And Howard the Duck comes to her rescue. He knows quack food. Come here, snot nose! That's it. No more Mr. Nice Duck. Let the female creature go! 
every duck's got his limit. And you, scum, have pushed me over the line. Jimmy, do you like to see what I see? A talking duck? Yeah, that's <laughs> it. I've been doing too much toot. <laughs> Shoot, fly away. Shoot. <laughs> no one laughs at a master of quack foo. <laughs> so he can fight this guy sometimes. <laughs> three foot three. <laughs> he must weigh what 60 70 pounds like what are you gonna fight it's not the size of the dog in the fight it's the size of the fight in the dog yeah sure if you're talking about a guy who's five foot eight fighting a guy who's six foot one i'll believe that but like you know a three foot two inch duck come on <laughs> he knows quack foo he's very good at it uh so he he rescues leah thompson and she thanks him and she's about to leave but kind of feels bad for him She's like, who are you? You're a duck. I'm not that freaked out by this. I'm just kind of curious. She's oddly comfortable with just like, oh, it's a talking duck thing. And there's a moment there right at the beginning where she's real curious about what he is. Uh, and then, well, and Howard. Howard is oddly just like, I just want to leave. I don't even care what you things are. Like, you, well, you just got sucked to another alien planet. You're not freaking out about what you're seeing here. And then he's insulted when she makes some comment about – I've never met anything like you before. Something like that. He's like, today's been terrible for my self-esteem. He's like, come on, you've never seen a talking six-foot hairless ape either. Let's be honest with each other. This is a new experience from both ends. Let's just be surprised at what we're seeing. <laughs> they got to get over this pretty quickly. This is yeah. the only way to move their story forward. <laughs> right. It's true. Like I said, I'm just rushing along. Let's get through it. <sighs> she does take Howard at home and they get to know each other. They just kind of chat and, you know, like, who are you? Where are you from? I'm not from here. Okay, well, let's figure out a way to get you home, et cetera, et cetera. When he goes to sleep, she goes through his wallet. And one of the things that I thought was very strange is that he has a condom in his wallet that's open. <laughs> it's not in a condom wrapper. It's just like an open, tiny condom. Right? What? And like... Uh... I don't I don't really want to get into this topic, but like peop, there's a real funny video uh on YouTube. I think it's called like the the mating techniques of ducks or so it's, it's supposed to be satire, but it's actually largely factually true. It's fucking frightening. I really don't want to go into it any more than that, but duck anatomy is fucked up. Like <laughs> Steve did some heavy research. Like it's, this is a video that gets linked like on Reddit and places and you don't really know what it is until you watch it and then you, it's just it's over. Like, you're dying. Now you know things you really didn't want to know. Oh, man. I'm <laughs> right. glad I haven't seen it. Sounds horrifying. It's really, I mean, it's funny, but it's also really disturbing. Uh. <laughs> so they try to figure out what to do with Howard. And Leia says, Well, I know a guy. He's a scientist, sort of. And his name's Phil. It's Tim Robbins, right? It's Tim Robbins, plays this guy named Phil, who's kind of like a super insane version of like Doc Brown. Like he's so eccentric and just crazy. He's like straight up schizophrenic. It seems like (laughs) he's Tim Robbins has also said over the years that he, the only thing related to the movie working on this movie, he really thinks about is the fact that he made so much money making it. Apparently it was real early in his career and he was super happy to be having a, have a job that paid that well anyway, but they ended up, they ended up having to do a bunch of reshoots, partly because there'd been problems early on with, with Howard's suit and they needed to redo a bunch of the stuff with it. And he ended up basically doubling what he was going to get paid to work on this film because of all the reshoot stuff. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Tim Robbins is, he's really acting crazy and he's kind of, his performance is, is pretty good, I think. Like, he's so crazy yeah. that it's very interesting to watch him. His oldest fantasy across a sea of stars. Look! Up in the sky, it's a bird! 
It's a plane! No, it's a duck. Phil, you've got to help us. What are we going to do? Nice ducky. Me, Phil. You, Howard. We be friends. Undoubtedly, one of Earth's greatest minds here. Oh. Yeah, you know, he's he's certainly entertaining. He's also kind of annoying, but yeah. <laughs> so he has all these like wild theories about Howard, but he's he doesn't really know what he's talking about because he's just a lab assistant. But that's really his introduction. Howard kind of gets fed up though, and he basically leaves and he says, "You know what, Beverly and Phil, I'm I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to figure this out." He's tired of everyone looking at him crazy. And he just wants to go live a normal life, which he which he can't do, but he, you know he wants to. An insane thing to think. Right. So he goes to like this unemployment office. Steve, maybe you can tell us about what what this is. I don't. He he goes to yeah. It's basically just uh, whatever the Ohio equivalent is to like the the uh, employment state and city employment agency, whatever. Uh, it, they're basically there to place unemployed people, and there are. You know, this works everywhere. There are caveats. Like if you're on extended unemployment, once you get to a certain point, you have to prove to the state government you're actually still looking for work or you can't keep collecting the check. So this is a real thing. So he goes to one of these offices to get help getting a human job. And the woman who's supposed to help him starts immediately like calling him a deadbeat and saying, oh, you know, I always, I can't remember what her actual name is. But it's like Rhonda or something. She's like, Rhonda places everybody. Speaks about herself in the third person. And... um and she's like, I'm going to get you a job. I think I've got one that's perfect for you. And um, But she thinks he's some kind of weird freak who's had like plastic surgery or is wearing a costume. It's like, again, I can't understand anybody looking at that and being like, oh, this is a human in a suit or whatever. But it happens repeatedly. Even even the cops at one point think so. Um, and uh, eventually she, she finds the job she's been thinking of in her Rolodex of available positions. And it turns out to basically be – a slop bucket guide, a real sleazy, I don't know what it's supposed to be. A bathhouse? Yeah, it's like a bathhouse slash brothel. I mean, there's there's people having sex all over the place, but there's definitely no way Cleveland's got legal, like, like bath brothels downtown. I just, so yeah. I she mean, got him a job under the table, like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like one of these, those porno theaters where they let guys do weird shit in the, the theaters, even though they're not supposed to. It's, it's called Lava of Love. Yeah, Lava of Love. And and there's like mud baths in there. There's yeah. He's supposed to hand out towels to the people that are banging, right? And then the boss tells him that he's also supposed to be a water expert, which is I guess supposed to be the joke. Is like the unemployment person said that I've got a perfect job for you, and oh ha ha, it's a water expert. But like what you what you need is a guy who does like plumbing for jacuzzi pumps, <laughs> and what you ended up with was a humanoid duck that talks. So. Um, but uh, yeah, and then eventually it turns into an argument, and uh, Howard uh, realizes how little he's valued, and he tosses the manager into one of the mud baths. Yeah. <laughs> so he he leaves, and he takes the bus, and he's kind of like wandering around, and eventually finds his way back into the nightclub that Beverly performs. And in the nightclub, he confronts Beverly's manager while Beverly and her band are performing. Do you remember the name of her band? Cherry Bomb. Cherry Bomb. Which is, I mean, a ripoff of uh, The Runaways. Yeah. You know? That's one of their songs, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's what the name of the movie about The Runaway, although that was decades later, but still. Yeah. So, he ends up fighting the manager and his goons to 
Because I guess they haven't been treating the band right. They haven't been paying them right. The manager's been withholding money. And fuck, now I'm blanking on the guy's name. But one of the goons who's with the manager, the skinny He's a Ninja Turtle. Uh, He he, was in Super Mario Brothers. He's in Super Mario Brothers. He also played a character in The Crow. Um, That dude, God, I wish I could remember his name. But if you look up his resume, you suddenly realize he's been in like 90 movies you've seen. But he's almost never the main character. No shit. Yeah. Yeah, Honest to God. He's like a a really good henchman guy. You know, he's just like, he's got the look like he's kind of sleazy looking. (laughs) Uh. So what happens is Howard kind of reconnects with Beverly. He goes back home with her that night. And then we get my most memorable scene of the movie. Right. So he goes home with her and they kind of like are flirting a lot. She's like kind of in some skimpy out. She's basically in like her underwear. Right. And kind of like lingerie-ish. Yeah. Once they get back to her apartment, she's basically in a crop top with no bra on her panties. Yeah. And he's oogling her. But again, the anatomy of that, believe me, the human side of that especially would not be having fun. It's bad. <laughs> like, oh God. It's terrible bad. What, what comes out of that thing? A fucking knife? Like what's going on? You're not on? that far off. It's more like a fleshy corkscrew than anything else. Oh, it's terrible. God. Right? It's disgusting. Yeah, it is. It is really like – and they've got a cloaca. Birds are really disgusting. Anyway. <laughs> uh. So, I mean, we got to spend a few minutes on this. She – Basically, says let's fuck, right? Yeah, but I mean, she's teasing him. But yeah, I mean, he, but is she? I, I, I mean, I think she, I think she genuinely likes him. But I think she also genuinely, genuinely is not serious about the sex part. Like, okay, let's go for it, Mister Macho. What do you mean? Okay, it was a joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Listen, <sighs> I'm pretty tired. It's just that you're so incredibly soft and cuddly. Bev, let's be realistic. I mean, my apartment's zillions of miles from here. <gasps> you're three feet taller than I am. Oh, oh, oh. I just can't resist your intense animal magnetism. Uh, whoops. Anyway, where will it all lead? Marriage, kids, a house in the suburbs? Let's just face it, it's fate. No, it's not. I've got a headache. And I got the aspirin. Be gentle. Just one good night kiss, sweet ducky. I don't know, man. It's getting pretty real in there. Right. Well, then it ends and then she's, you know, she's like, I'm joking. And Howard, for all his bravado, immediately is like, ha, no, not really, though. Let's go to sleep. <laughs> like, oh, man, Leah Thompson was cute. She did look great. Didn't yeah. She? yeah. <laughs> right. She gave a really fucking horrible performance in this movie, I think. That might be the direction. Right? Yeah, I think some of it was. Because she, she can be good, obviously. Yeah, I think she can be pretty good. I mean, you know, I, and I don't mean this as an insult, but clearly she isn't Meryl Streep. But at the same time, she's not a bad actress. And she'd been in Back to the Future. But I think, you know, a lot, from what I've heard, a large part of how she got this role was because of Back to the Future and. Don't get me wrong, I fucking love those movies. I love those movies, and me she's too. perfect in them, but it's not exactly a heavyweight role, you know, from her end at least. That's a true statement, I yeah. think I think uh, Chris Lloyd had really had the heaviest role to play in those films, because maintaining the Doc Brown bit consistently, I think, would have been difficult, but he's perfect at it. Oh, he's, he's like, one of the highlights, for sure. I like <laughs> Biff a lot. Biff's great. Yeah. It's so unfortunate that actor didn't work a whole lot else outside of those movies. He was that in, like, Camp Nowhere was the only other thing I can remember him being in. <laughs> yeah. He was in Freaks and Geeks, but, yeah. Oh, that's right. He, he was, and that was a good show. That was a good show. 
I think Leia Thompson, her character in the movie Beverly, she kind of take. She must have heard the old saying when you were a kid: "Fuck a duck, screw a kangaroo, <laughs> finger bang an orangutan." And she was just trying to check them off her list, you know. Yeah, it turns out she's a huge bestiality enthusiast. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> right. So uh, they get interrupted during their little romance time. We don't know which way it could have gone. They could have fucked for all we know. But they get interrupted <laughs> by Phil, the uh, pseudoscientist, Tim Robbins, and a new character who ends up being the villain of the movie. So Jeffrey sort of. Jones playing Dr. Jennings. Jeffrey Jones. Played by a real life villain, Jeffrey Jones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Boy, did that guy ever turn out to be something different than what everyone thought. I mean, Fred Willard got caught, what I think, jerking off in a porn theater, but at least it wasn't to kids. Like, <laughs> like uh, So, what's Jeffrey Jones' story, Steve? He had this – I mean, I think by the time people what? discovered what he was up to privately, he'd, he'd, the bulk of his career was really over anyway. But he'd had this really good career between like approximately – these aren't the exact years, but like 1985 to 1993. Yeah. He said a whole bunch of really popular movies, this and Ferris Bueller and like 12 other things. Yeah, Beetlejuice. Yeah. Beetlejuice. And um, he probably would have continued getting good stuff. And then at some point in the early to mid-90s, it – came out one one way or another. I don't remember the details of how it became news, but he basically got busted in possession of child pornography. Yeah, I think he was trying to, like, uh, solicit this, like, young boy. This, yeah. Like, yeah. And, I mean, it goes to show you, in an industry that was willing to look the other way for years while Harvey Weinstein coerced young actresses into sex – and in an industry where that the people were willing to look the other way for years, while Bill Cosby fucking drugged women, even in an industry that permissive of awful behavior, you still can't be a fucking pedophile. And it cr- killed his career. There's someone that came out recently. I think it was Corey Feldman that says there's like pedophile rings, and he's doing like a movie about it or something or a book. Yeah. Now, I mean, and I I can't speak to how true any of that is. I don't want to presume. I don't want to presume that he's lying because it's a really serious thing if he's telling the truth. And and to his credit, Haim backed up a lot of what he had to say. The two of them have- Rest in peace, Haim. Right. The two of them did claim for years, for years, that they were systematically molested and that there was one person in particular at the top of it and that it, it, it does happen within the industry. And, you know, it's it could very well be the truth. I, I tend to think that it's- a small number of people within the industry were operating amongst themselves rather than being something that's really systemic to the rest of it. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's rough stuff. Things took a dark turn. Let's get back yeah. into the movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. So Jenning is a real scientist and he says, look, we were doing this experiment with a laser and that's when you showed up on earth. So what we did must have brought you here, right? And they have some evidence to support that. So they're going to go take Howard to this laser, which they can like reprogram to send him back. Yeah, I guess it's important. We touched just for 10 seconds on the fact that they've, they've established that Jeffrey Jones character works for a company that develops weaponry and other such items. And they've been testing a laser beam that was meant to take measurements of some kind from deep space. And they fired it. And it didn't work the way it was supposed to. And somehow it ended up aligning with Howard's planet. And it was what was responsible for pulling him down to Earth in the first place. Um, but it also – this was the result of a huge malfunction and it caused a, a, an explosion. And 
it's during their first meeting. Howard says, well, could you just like load me into this thing and send me back? And they eventually decide to try it, but they, they know full well that like nobody really knows how it's, how it's going to work. Like the thing didn't work the way it was supposed to the first time. So they really don't know what they're doing in regards to controlling it. Like they're going to give it a shot though, right? Yeah. I mean, they're going like, to give it a shot. And that turns out to be a bad choice. Right. Because it backfires. There's like an explosion of some kind. It doesn't work right. Yeah. Jenning gets caught in the explosion. They, they presume he's like maybe dead possibly because he's missing for a little bit. Right. But they, they, they find him again and he's alive, but there's something going on with him, right? Yeah. He's clearly, he's clearly not right. I mean, the, the first few moments after they discover him alive, it just seems like he's probably in shock and disoriented from the explosion. But as time goes on after that, they escape the – well, I guess we should rewind here. The explosion happens, which results in emergency services being called. So the police have shown up. The fire department has shown up. But they don't really want Howard to get discovered by these people. So Howard, Beverly, and the doctor decide that they're going to escape the facility together. And they end up getting out into Jennings' car, Dr. Jennings' car, which is a Jeep, and uh, ramming their way through a, a gate at the backside of the parking lot. Ludicrous that in a facility where they're developing military weaponry, the only security on one side of the property is a chain link fucking fence. But um, uh, they ram their way through it and um, end up out on the road. And within a few minutes of them getting out, it starts to become really obvious that something's fucked up with Jennings. He's... He's in pain. He's speaking weird. He can't focus. He starts rapidly developing what look like horrible stomach flu symptoms. He's sweating. He starts complaining immediately that it feels like something's eating his insides. Like, it's bad news. <laughs> and we find out that he is being possessed by one of the dark overlords of the universe who through the laser have come down and entered his body. So... One of them has taken over him, but there's more out there. Yeah, there's there's a moment when they're talking about the laser having brought Howard to Earth in the first place where Jennings comments that it seemed almost as if something was intentionally pulling the beam off of its intended chorus. Mm. And I think that they were meaning to imply that this consciousness out there in deep space was aware of what they were doing and was trying to intentionally use the beam to do this. And uh, the second time they fired it, hoping they could use it to send Howard home, they managed to pull this thing. It managed to find and, and use the laser and it, it got pulled down and it's now in Dr. Jennings' body. And you, they establish as time goes on that these things, for whatever reason, if they come to Earth, they have to start by occupying a human body that they can like gestate inside of. And then after some period of time, they can leave that body and exist on Earth. So that's what's happening. Jennings is, is being gestated. This thing, by the way, is one of the few things they even remotely uh, adapted from the comics. There's a character in the comics called Thog the Netherspawn, the overmaster of Sominus. And that's that was what the basis for this guy. But it's just about the only moment where they really took anything from the comics. And we'll, we'll touch on it when we get to the end. But the way he turns out looking, you fucking tell me that's not a leftover model from episode five. Oh, my God. It, right? <laughs> Oh, anyway, let's go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is the rest of the movie. I like pretty much a hundred percent hate. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, we can get in the beginning, quick. there were some parts that I 
thought were interesting, even though I really didn't like it overall. But the rest, I fucking hate, man. It just drags and drags. It does make you kind of wonder why the movie needed to be an hour and 51 minutes long. Like, and <laughs> like typically, I think, I think you and I have had friendly discussions about where we slightly disagreed about it with one movie or another. But like, I, I'm usually the type of person that's like, no, I, you know, I could have dealt with them adding an hour if it meant more story development. Like, I, I'm the kind of person who's happy to sit through a three or four hour long movie if it means that they get to do everything correctly. But in this case, it's the opposite. It's like, you just, it just feels like there's 25 wasted minutes in there. It could have been an hour and 35 minutes instead of an hour and 51. You basically could have done everything the same. Oh, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Because there's a very long sequence where they go to a diner. Jennings is being more and more possessed. Yeah. At first, Howard the Duck doesn't believe it, but then he starts to... Jennings has, like, laser eyes. Yeah, well, I mean, like, he's in the car before they're at the diner. Jennings starts saying all kinds of fucked up weird things, like he really is having some kind of schizophrenic break. And then he almost kills them by crashing the car. And after all of that, they're... Beverly and Howard are like, let's just go into the diner and get something to eat and you'll feel better. Like, wait, no, 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 no. This person needs to go to a psychiatric hospital. And then they sit down on the table and he immediately starts railing on this waitress and like giving her all kinds of like, your world's going to end and I'm here to invade you. And and she's just like, oh, ha, ha. Oh, by the way, your kid's duck suit's awesome. I love it. You are about to witness the end of the old world and the birth of the new Hey, is he like one of those TV evangelists or something? Or something. By the way, the restaurant, this is one of the few little touches I thought was funny. I laughed at it. The restaurant is um, Cajun and sushi. Yeah, I thought that was a good gag, yeah. <laughs> like, it's really ridiculous yeah. inside. Because, like, and, inside they're wearing, like, the Karate Kid, like, headband. Yes. And then there's one part of the restaurant you see in a moment where they're in their fight where they've got Peking duck hanging, which is Chinese food. It's like, this is the most confused fucking place in the world, and of course, there's all a bunch of rednecks in there. It's just like we're eating sushi. Yeah, <laughs> give me a roll, boy. Right? There's an episode of King of the Hill where uh, uh, Bobby is super impressed that there's a sushi place in Arlen's Mall. He thinks that they're becoming more like Los Angeles. Uh-huh. You're right, exactly. And Hank hates it. And it turns out toward the end of the episode that the the tuna in their tuna roll literally is like sun kissed from a can. So Howard has kind of like a a fight with the local rednecks. There's some, I don't know if it's the appropriate time to call it. There's a MacGuffin. There's a code key, right? So Jennings like, I got this code key. My plan is I'm going to go back to the laser, bring in some more demons. And Howard's like, no, give it to me. Rednecks come up in like a, a very typical moment where they're like, what the fuck are you doing in our waters, boy? Get the fuck out of here. And then they want to flirt with Beverly. And it's like, she's here with this sweaty dude who's turning blue and talking about taking over the world and a three foot, three inch talking thing that looks like a duck. And this is the woman you want to hit on. Like, does this look like a group you should maybe make trouble with? Or, you know, would, would, would I like just leave when I saw this, these people come in? But yeah. And then that turns into a huge fight. And Jenning, despite the fact that someone has taken the key from him, refuses to do anything about it until like the very, very end. And this, they do this tropey fucking thing. It's one of two times in the movie where they really do it terribly, where it takes them five minutes to end up not doing something they could have done in 90 seconds. Like they've got, they get Howard tied to this table and they're, they're going to kill him. They're going to hack him. Yeah. And, and it's like now all of a sudden we've accepted that he's a talking duck, but he's edible. So it's cool. Let's hack him up and lead him, which is a totally weird fucking thing for these people to be doing. But, 
it's, it's like minute after minute after minute of Howard being tied to the table and someone hanging over him with a knife. It's like, are you going to do this or not? Just like just chop his head off, right? I hate the way they do this with scripts, where it's like there's no way this character could really get out of this. So let's delay it and delay it and delay it and delay it and delay it until we come up with some weird thing. There's an explosion in the background, or someone unexpected comes in, or here's a gunshot that surprises everyone, and then suddenly it can't happen anymore. Or in this case, Demon Man steps Demon up Man. and just starts telekinesising about. Like, right? He just blasts everybody. He's blasting. He's levitating. He's glowing. So, we got these old school, like, pre-CG effects yeah. of, like, animation, which I think in some cases don't look bad. Really. I actually really, really love that type of effect, and I appreciate that in the late 80s, they still hadn't gotten completely perfect at compositing them in, but I, yeah, I dig it. I think it's cool. Yeah. I, I something mean, about it almost like more than CG, really. It's not like CG looks real most of the time. I- <laughs> I really like the Ghostbusters effects, man. I think that's the one that's got it down perfect. Dude, you're right. There were some instances where they just fucking nailed it. And the beams in the Ghostbusters movies, not only are they completely perfect, but that is so, so much more work than most people would have thought. This is at least five to eight years before there were real computer systems that could help with it. They had to do all of that in film and then layer the film and take new images with, with make to make new image, new scripts of film with the beam laid in on them. It's almost like the way they had to rotoscope in the lightsabers in Star Wars. Just like weeks worth of work just to get the beams. Damn. It's crazy, yeah. <laughs> so it's a similar effect here, right? With yeah. Jenny glowing and all that. And we get to see him exhibiting his demon powers. And he's starting to look more and more grotesque right. as the movie goes on. He just looks like a sweaty, like his a Klingon kind of like. <laughs> it's true. He starts looking more and more, you know, it's, it's almost like uh, Beetlejuicey. You know, it's yeah. almost Burton-esque in a weird way. Yeah, there are some definite moments, too, where it, when he becomes a puppet. And yeah, it's very Beetlejuicy. <laughs> but so what, what Jennings does is he takes Beverly, he takes the code key, and he leaves. His ultimate plan is to go back to the big laser that brought him to Earth. But first, he has to make a stop. He has to go to a nuclear power plant, because I guess he likes to absorb electricity. Yeah, it's this- like his food. Sequence is not well explained. Like, he just keeps saying he wants or needs power. He takes her with him to a nuclear power plant where he completely inexplicably manages to integrate himself into a tour group of what otherwise <laughs> seem to be people from, like, the Federal Nuclear Commission. Yeah. I'm not sure how you just wander in and join that He's group. He's, like, wearing, like, like, a visitor coat. Like. Right? It's got no ID. Like, those – I mean, nuclear plants don't just let people in. Plus, you're with a group of, of federal employees. Like, you couldn't – so, some, yeah, somehow he manages this while, while Beverly's tied up in the car – and not only that, but then the rest of the group wanders away for coffee because he's acting so fucking strange. I mean, post 9-11 especially, there's no way that guy gets into a nuclear power no plant. No way. No fucking way. He gets guns drawn on him immediately. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, on top of which, like, why bother doing it that way? Just laser blast everybody and walk in. But, you know, then he manages to go. Laser. You ever see that movie? <laughs> Yes, actually. <laughs> uh, he looks like – he's like getting – he's becoming like the guy from Laser Blast, like the way he's looking, he like more and more like a monster. And then, yeah, then, some, then he opens a door that wanders into the reactor and just lets himself in. Yeah. And after that, the next cut is basically him back with Beverly. Yeah. So, like, there's no explanation of what happened while he was in the reactor. The power plant should have exploded, probably would have. Um, Definitely there would have been a meltdown. Um, where are all the rest of the people that were in there with him? How did he leave? I'm just like, this. They, they set this sequence up. There's, they don't even give you a reason for him to really need to be there. 
And then they're like, we're all power. Right. Unlimited and power. Then, yeah. And then they're like, we're also not going to give you any of the details. It's just like, here he is in power plant. Now he's inside. Now he's in the reactor. Now he's not. Thank you. Bye. We're done. For some reason, we got to hit this overly long runtime. Right? That's the thing. There's, there's fucking, what, 10 minutes or so they could have just trimmed right out of the movie. Oh, my God. So, all right. So, speaking of 10 minutes, that could have been trimmed out. <laughs> Phil and Howard take this little weird plane. Oh, what, my what? God. Right? They get on this little weird plane. There's a, they're being chased by cops. They're on the ground for a really long time. There's a name for those things. It's like aerofoil or some shit like that. It's like a, it's like a glider with a, a prop attached to it at the back. Yeah. Like, yeah. They take off. They are fucking flying to the science facility for so long, They dude. spent the entire night across the street from where all the cops were building a powered fucking glider and no one saw them until the last moment when finally one of the cops goes running into the superior officers and says, hey, by the way, the two, the two of them were just seen about to take off in a glider across the street. Why the fuck aren't you stopping them? You went back to tell everyone? Do you not know that you're a police officer? You don't need your boss's permission to be a police officer. You're a police officer. <laughs> <laughs> Chase the fucking mutant, man. Right? There's a duck thing and a guy building a powered glider across the street to escape with. And they're the ones you're looking for. Go get them. Dude, they are on this glider for what feels like an eternity. And they never get more than like 20 feet off the ground. Yeah. I just, the, the entire, like, it's one thing the first 20 seconds, you know, you realize that that Howard's only like 40 feet from the ground or whatever. But after that, it's just like, we'll just pull up. And instead, he spends that entirely overly long sequence not pulling up. And then, he, and then he drags the doctor around. It's like. Yeah, they, it gets like damaged. The guy's got to like get out of his seat and go like do a repair. Oh my oh, God. He does a repair while they're like gliding there. And then he almost falls out. Like gets dragged through the water. The whole thing. And then there's the recurring bit about how Howard, Howard can't fly. Right. And yeah, Howard. Fucking stupid. But then he's like, he can't swim either. It's like, you've got webbed feet. <laughs> How can you not swim with webbed feet? <laughs> All right, whatever. You don't even have to try. You literally don't even have to try. Look, I have this argument with people too. I hear people say, I can't swim. It's like your body floats. You can absolutely swim. Just let yourself float. Move your arms. You're swimming. You don't need lessons for this. You know, it's funny that you say that. This is the first time I've ever had this conversation. I've always wondered about people that can't swim. Like, how can you not? Like, <laughs> right. It, it's built in by instinct. Unless you're like a child. That's the thing. You know, you expect fine. A baby doesn't know what it's doing. That's I, I get it. But like, you know, a, a grown person, anyone over eight or nine years old, it should seem, just seems to me like your brain knows exactly what to do. But you get these people who are like, I can't swim. And then if you get them within eight feet of water, they just start flailing their limbs and screaming. And it's like, well, that's definitely what you're doing wrong. Don't do that. Like... <laughs> Look, I'm not going to go into it too heavily, but I don't fuck with water myself. But at the same time, I do know how to swim. It's been a long time. Right. No, but I mean, but and, I do know how to swim. and those are two totally different things. To yeah. say I don't, I don't enjoy being in the water, I totally get it. I'm the opposite. I'm a water person, but that doesn't mean I expect everyone to be. But saying like you're physically incapable of swimming as an adult, that's the part that I just. Especially if you're a duck. Right. Especially if you're a duck and you've got feet for it. It's <laughs> like people put on flippers when they go scuba diving to make their feet more like a duck's feet. He's already got those feet. Yeah, he's got them already. How can you not swim? <laughs> Just float he's and like, paddle. He's like, my animatronic will break down in water. <laughs> right. That's really what it is. So, um, <laughs> they get to the lab. The big bad, Jenning, who's possessed by the Dark Overlord, also at the lab, ties up Leah Thompson, Beverly, and he starts working the laser, right? So, he's trying to 
bring in more demons to Earth. They're going to take over the world. It's just Howard and Phil. They're trying to figure out a way to stop him. They get another laser. <laughs> yeah, it's like a neuron destabilizer or some shit. The neuron disintegrator. The neuron disintegrator, yeah. And it, the, the, he tells Howard that the company had been working on it as part of a government contract, but the cost overruns ran so high it became embarrassing and they stopped development on it. So we just got it now. Yeah, so it's just this prototype's just sitting here. The military def- definitely didn't want this back. <laughs> Yeah, we just held on to it. They let us have it. (laughs) Right? And somehow, this is another case where just everything is delayed, 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 delayed. He's got – Jennings has got Beverly strapped to the bottom of his laser because he's going to use her as a host for one of the other demons. And uh, he should have been able to get the whole thing set up and running instead of like two or three minutes. And for some reason, it's taking him forever. And he's jabbering with Beverly and she's going – giving wise-ass remarks and he's he's talking back to her and – just so that 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 Howard and Tim Robbins have enough time to mount this gigantic thing to some kind of powered vehicle and then drive it into the lab and then they can make it there before anything has happened to Beverly. How convenient. They do make it there, don't they? <laughs> right. So they pull up there. Howard points the laser at the demon man, Jennings. They have like a – I don't know what the, what it's called. But you see it a lot in like movies where two people shoot like beams at each other and they like meet. I mean, this is so much, so much like um, like Palpatine having a, a force energy fight with somebody. I mean, this is really Lucas going, hey, I did this thing in Star Wars several times. Let's just copy it here. Like- they shoot the beams. I guess Howard's beam is stronger. And Jenning gets like knocked back. But when they when they find Jenning's body, he's like, oh, I'm normal again. I'm like. This now I'm makes just fucking no Jeffrey fucking Jones. <laughs> I mean, the whole idea was that this thing was assimilating his body. He actually said toward the beginning, it feels like it's it's his organs are, are being, being replaced. Yeah. So, like, if you separate that from the bo- Jennings body, Jennings is done. He's just There's, a corpse. Yeah. But somehow he's like back in perfect health. He looks not only is he alive, he goes immediately back to looking exactly the way he looked before the demon was inside his body. Yeah, he goes from like next generation Klingon to like original series Klingon, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, how the fuck does that? You should be dead. I mean, plus, like, that he's not a particularly sympathetic character. He spends most of the movie being possessed by this thing. So just no one's going to care if you kill him. Like, anyway. Fuck him. Right? Yeah. I mean, come on. Plus, he turned out to be a piece of shit person. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's outside the movie. Though. Right. It's so true. They find out that the demon, though, is just, like, outside of his body. And it's true stop motion form is that thing not a rejected model for the rancor oh my god dude it's a rancor exactly it's like it looks like they went into the vault found one of the models they used for for one of the ot films and just said here add some extra arms to it use this yeah it's like a more spiky rancor yeah yeah honest to god thank you it's like a hentai rancor right (laughs) there's a moment where i looked at it and i'm like am i watching an ot film what is this where's luke (laughs) like I mean, don't get me wrong. Like Luke would have handled that fucking guy. Luke would have just given it a bone and like, yeah, yeah, fucked its face up and all kinds of shit. Like, he's dealt with this before. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I still do like that vintage sort of stop motion creature effect. I, I think it's cool. Um, you know, and I've, I've contended. You get the same issues with CG. CG 10 years later doesn't look right anymore either. If you're going to end up with something that looks dated, it may as well be neat. You know, but... uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> Right. <laughs> But uh, uh, but still, it does. It looks like a, an unused model from from five or six or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That thing got out of Jabba's palace, man. <laughs> right. 
somewhere there's a, a boar guard or pig guard with horns crying. A Gamorian. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Gamorian. Okay. <laughs> So the giant monster is about to like attack them or whatever, but Howard just shoots a laser at it, just like boom, blows it up in a very. I think it was the nostalgia critic that talked about the explosion, how, how shitty. It, I don't really remember. The explosion doesn't look great. <laughs> no, no, the explosion was one of the sort of letdowns effects wise for that film. Yeah. And but I mean, it doesn't really do much, right? Because as the monster, it's going to still fire the giant laser to bring in the demons and it starts to do it but then Howard just kind of shows up and he hits it again right yeah they destroy the laser while it's in the process of beaming these other demons down first he kills the monster then he kills he lasers the other laser he lasers the other yeah. laser and, and in doing so knows that he's dooming himself to be stuck on earth yeah so he kind yeah. of like is consigned to his fate he's like you know what I guess I'm gonna stay here on earth to save this planet <laughs> and he he's a hero therefore right he is sort of a hero, I guess. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, he saves the day, he saves the planet. Leah Thompson writes a song about it. I mean, the reality is what choice did he really have? Like, it's easy to make that the heroic move. And I don't want to take away from Howard. But uh, like, if they'd invaded Earth, Howard would have died with everyone else. So, you know, it's like, look, you, you, the, it really wasn't a choice between saving Earth or going home. It was a choice between dying or not dying when these <laughs> things get here. So, <laughs> like, uh yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so, Bad writing, really. So what that means is he's stuck on Earth. He can't ever leave, basically, through no existing methods. Yeah, I mean, you know, knowing the rules of comics the way we do, dead characters are never really dead, and no one's ever really stuck where they are. Eventually, they come up with some weird loophole to figure out how to send them home, or, or time gets rewound, or Superman yeah. spins the Earth backwards, or some stupid shit happens. Has, has Wolverine come back yet? You know, I'm not really sure. I haven't read anything since since they melted him. So yeah, I, he's going to come back. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he will. How can they not have Logan in that universe? <laughs> but you know, uh, Steve Rogers is dead. I guess he's coming back. He's come back true. before. Yeah, like, it's true. He's come back before. <laughs> it's funny. It's like try to think of a character that's died and not come back. Um, you know? Just very few. Kitty Pride, Banshee, but not many. Hmm. You know. Yeah. So I mean, that's. That's Howard the Duck. He saves the day. Kind of ends on a high note. They Leia Thompson's band, Cherry Bomb. They perform at the nightclub and the Howard the Duck theme song. They perform the Howard the Duck theme song, <laughs> which in and of itself was nominated for Razzies. <laughs> Even aside from the Razzie nominations, the movie got that song was nominated. Howard the, the Duck, probably the least interesting song ever. <laughs> Very '80s sounding, but totally bland. <laughs> It's just like, I, I'm sure that was somebody going, how can we write something that sounds like every song that's popular right now in the middle of 86 without it being as good as any of them? And that's yeah. what they came up with. It, yeah. It's, I mean, all their band songs are really just like this Bad. like generic 80s rock that right? just doesn't really have any place. Like, I don't know. It's no good. I mean, you know, when it's so generic and terrible, it makes the Bangles stuff from the same time sound classic. Like, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Fuck, dude. Uh uh, what else? Howard's the new manager. He he kind Become of like manager. fumbles his way onto stage with them, like with the band, and he picks up a guitar and he starts like doing a solo. Yeah, and Lewis is like their stagehand now. Or uh, what's Phil? his name? Phil. Phil, yeah. yeah. Phil is like their stagehand now and that doesn't make any sense. This guy was apparently in the middle of getting a PhD and now he's working <laughs> as like a stagehand. Like he's I, found his true calling, okay? He was a, not a good scientist. Yeah, I mean, it's, he probably was not meant for that PhD anyway, but Yeah. Very weird way to end that movie. <laughs> this whole movie is fucking weird. I mean, dude. they wanted to set it up for a sequel, and then it became painfully obvious upon the film's release that the sequel was not going to happen. But I mean, 
this was directed, like I said before, by William Hike, but yeah. George Lucas had a heavy hand in this, didn't he? A lot. I think he drove way more of what happened with it than anyone else did. I mean, look, he was the one that got the wheel started to make this into a movie in the first place. He was the one that made the decision not to make it as animated. He was the one that brought Hoyek on because Hoyek had done rewrites, I think, on one of the Indiana Jones movies and one or two of the Star Wars, two Star Wars films. Yeah. So they knew each other. Um, well, they went to film school together. Yeah. They'd known each other since film school and, and Lucas had employed him to work as a writer mostly on, on some of his projects. And he directed two or three other movies, none of which were very successful. The one before this had also been a financial bomb. And this turned into the last film he, he directed. I think he continued working in the industry, but not as a director. That's true. Yeah. He, this was the last movie he directed. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, but Lucas was primarily responsible for this. And there's a, it's actually a really interesting, I know there's a lot of documentaries and material about his career. There's a really, really particularly good hardcover book about Lucas's career called, uh, The Creative Impulse. And, uh, it touches on his involvement with this, among other things. It's kind of an interesting segment to read. But, uh, it's some, some side notes before we really get to the, because we're done with the story. Yeah. Basically. Before we go to ratings. Go ahead. Yeah. Before we go to ratings, they didn't cast, uh, Chip Zine, the guy whose voice you actually hear is Howard, but they didn't cast him until after they were doing production already. And they didn't actually record anything for him until they got to the ADR stage where they were dubbing dialogue. So on, on the stage, they had a different actor in the suit. And he couldn't hear what the fuck was going on outside the suit. So they, one of the guys working the remotes for the costume had to read all of Howard's dialogue using a, a speaker built into the costume. And then they had to dub it later on, um, which made it really difficult to do a lot of scenes. On the first day of shooting, they realized that from some angles, oh, I guess I should go back half a step. They had multiple Howard suits. Some of them were like the Ninja Turtles suits in the sense that they were worn by a human, but the head had animatronic elements in it. Yeah. In other instances, what you're seeing is fully animatronic and there's no person in it. Um, but uh, one of the the heads that they started off using for the suit that was meant to be worn by a person, they realized the first day of shooting that they could see robotics down its throat every time it opens its mouth to speak. <laughs> so they had to film the scenes anyway to get something on camera. And then they went back later on and had to reshoot a bunch of the stuff with Howard because of that, um, which is part of the reason Robbins ended up doing all those overshoot days. Uh, what was the stat? I wrote down a stat that I hadn't known before about the costumes. I might've lost it, but Lucas spent something like 2 million bucks of his, his own money, right? Yeah, just on the costumes for the film, which was pretty insane. And um, I also found out – this is something I didn't know before. I was not familiar with this person before, but maybe we can um, get him to listen at some point or we'll start doing something with him. So, podcaster and author named Arnie Carvalho. He owns what might be the world's largest private Howard the Duck collection. I had no idea. The guy's apparently got movie props, crew items, memorabilia – Stuff from the cast. He also owns one of the animatronic heads that were used in the movie. Wow. Yeah. So I don't, I, you know, I wasn't familiar with you before, sir, but if you come across the podcast, I'd love to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be cool, man. It would, it would be pretty cool. Please excuse um, my hatred for this film. It's nothing against you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
But uh, but yeah, and then just to cap it off, uh, I wrote this down to myself too, so I wouldn't forget. The movie was nominated for seven Golden Raspberry Awards in 1986, including Worst Director, Worst Original Song, being Howard the Duck, and Worst Supporting Actor for Tim Robbins. The picture won four Razzies for Worst New Star, um, the six guys and gals who wore the duck suit. All six people who wore the suit at different points won a co-award for Worst New Star. It also won Worst Visual Effects, Worst Screenplay, and Worst Picture. Um, although it actually tied for that with a movie that Prince made called Under the Cherry Moon. It's a uh, bad movie. It's bad? It's bad. It's the purple. I love Purple Rain. Under the Cherry Moon is terrible. He also made a third movie called uh, Graffiti Bridge. It's even worse. Didn't he try to make one with Kevin Smith? Do you remember that whole evening with Kevin Smith thing? Yeah. I think he did at one point. Yeah. Like, I think they made it, but like put it away. Like, they never did <laughs> I, it. Like, they never released it. I can't imagine what that would have come out hmm. being like. Yeah, Prince is an interesting dude, man. I'm a huge fan of his music. Huge fan of his music. But yeah, like as a person, very interesting guy. He's a strange guy, for sure. Yeah. But he's cool. He's, he's cool. all right. He's Prince, you know? <laughs> right? I mean, R.I.P., but yeah. Yeah, R.I.P. Yeah. So, Steve, on any rating scale you want, what's it going to be for Howard the Duck? You know, look, it's it's an inconsistent movie with a lot of problems. It was poorly adapted from the comic it's based on. Most of it's just not very good. And yet somehow I can't really despise it. There is something about the attitude of the film that I still sort of enjoy. Um, I do think that they did a really good job making parts of it feel like a comic book, even if it wasn't the right comic book. I don't really think they could have done a better job casting otherwise. And it gets points for me, just nostalgic 80s-ness, because I love that. So, you know what? I'm going to give it I'm going to give it a 5/5. Five, five. It's not good enough to be better than a 5, but it's just not bad enough for me to be worse than much worse than that. Is that I'm, out of 10? Yeah, out of 10. Okay. 5 out of 10. I mean, you know, I might be convinced to drop it down as low as a 4 out of 10, but that's really as low as I'd go for this one. So, fair enough, man. Look, I don't have the same feels that you have, Steve, so you're going to have to excuse me here. <laughs> I'm sure. It's not a good movie. It isn't. I could understand a one. Like One out of ten duck titties. Yeah. Yeah. Duck titties. Now, this is up there with Theodore Rex for me, man. Oh, see, I know. Yes, I hate Theodore Rex way more than this one. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> I do not like it. It's too fucking long. And look, the performances in this movie are all over the place. I know you said True. Tim Robbins got nominated for a Razzie. Yeah. I think he was kind of interesting because he was like silly and having a good time and going crazy like leia thompson is what really bugged me in this movie her performance it's funny she's just about the only one after the fact who said later on that i act i'm the one that had fun making this but yeah <laughs> well fair enough look the the length of the movie and the stupidity of the long scenes really fucking bother me man yeah like i'm not into that flying shit no when i think back terrible. on this movie now like, moving forward after this podcast. So, before it was all duck titties and duck sex. Now it's just going to be flying in that fucking stupid plane, bro. I'm not going to be able to get past that. That fucking plane thing goes on for too long. I'm just going to hyper-focus on the parts that I like. There's, like, four of them. But that's, yeah. Quack-foo. Quack-foo. You know, the beginning <laughs> sequence. Yeah. <laughs> Minus um, the duck titties. So, yeah. that that that's That's it for me. I was trying to think last night, which one do I like better this or Theodore Rex, and I, I still don't know the answer. Maybe someday at a later oh, time I'll know the answer. That's rough, because, yeah, I mean, Theodore Rex, I, I, I think I did give a one. That movie was unbearable. I think that that was, like, agreed upon as the worst movie we'd ever done at the yeah. point that we did it. Right. Yeah. And, I, you know, this arguably really is not much better. Just somehow I do like it more than Theodore Rex. 
Yeah. Whoopi Goldberg. It's kind of in between Theodore Rex and the Ewok Adventures for me. Oh, God, dude. Those are fucking bad. <laughs> those are bad, Steve. Those are bad. They are. They're bad. They're only better than the holiday special. Exactly. There's only one Star Wars item worse than the Ewok <laughs> Adventures, and it's that. The worst thing. Worse than the prequels. Worse than the worst of the worst is... The holiday special. You know what? You know what? I might be willing to have a recorded debate one time on episode one versus the Ewok Adventures because I'm not really convinced any one of those three is worse than the others. Oh, man. <laughs> like, for those listeners that like the prequels or love the prequels, that's great. Good for you. Steve here, though, is an old curmudgeon. That <laughs> well, I, I actually like the new ones, and that's what pisses those people off the most. I do not like the new ones as much as the OT. They are deeply flawed. There's a lot I would have done differently. But I, I still found them at least enjoyable. Yeah, for sure. Like, we often go on Star Wars rants, but it's really appropriate for this because this is a George Lucas vehicle, is it not? Absolutely. And it just – it goes back to his his creature fetish. Look, his creature fetish is what led to the Ewok adventures. It's what led to Jar Jar Binks. It's what led to two dozen completely unnecessary digitally created background characters being inserted into episode or episode four. No, you're still 20, mad about that. 25 years after it was made. I can see it in your eyes. Right? I'm infuriated. I hate it. Like, and you know, some blame. Clearly, Howard the Duck would be right up his alley. This dude doesn't want to be involved. He made two movies that didn't have creatures in them before episode four. American Graffiti and THX 1138. And, and since then, it's mostly been creature shit. <laughs> Good point. Right? Remember, um, what was the name of that? Uh, Captain EO? Oh, God, Wasn't yeah. he involved in that? That was Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> but I have a feeling, you know, I think Lucas's hand may have been in there somewhere because he and Coppola knew each other. They yeah. worked together a lot. They were friends. They also co-produced an Akira Kurosawa movie, which is probably the, the fucking best thing. I will argue being involved in that movie is the best thing Lucas did since the OT trilogy. What movie? Um, Dreams. I think that was the that it was a Kira Kurosawa's, Kurosawa's last movie before he passed. Coppola and Lucas, I don't think, had really a lot to do with directing or like. I think they mostly let him do it, but they were both big fans of his, and uh, several of his movies were part part of the basis for Episode Four. Right. So they were they they got to produce a film with him, which was pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me, Steve. Thank it's you. Very fun to talk about Howard the Duck. You, the listeners, if you want to write in, you can email us at bigdumbmovie at gmail.com. Our Instagram is bigdumbmoviepodcast. And if you're a big fan and you really want to get on our good side, leave us a positive rating on Apple Podcasts. We love that shit. You can just write, look, you guys are really cool and handsome. I really want you to say that in the reviews. Absolutely. Please please leave that. Only true statements like that one. Yeah. (laughs) We really boost our self-esteem here. Clearly what I need is an ego boost. (laughs) So thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next time on Big Dumb Movie. We love you. Good night and good luck. (laughs) 